0: farm, P-H-A-R-M, myfuturefarm.com slash Hoffman, com slash Hoffman. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. The subject is diabetes, and our expert is Dr. Mona Morstein. She's the author of Master Your Diabetes, a Comprehensive Integrative Approach for Both Type 1 and Type 2 Diabetes. In Part 1, we Define the scope of this. We talked about uh, diet. Uh, We've talked about uh, where conventional medicine has gone a little off the rails in terms of a a medical and even a surgical approach uh, with um, gastrointestinal bypass surgery for treatment of diabetes. That in extremis could be an answer, but there are better, uh, less risky, more natural options, which we'll talk about here in part two. So, uh, Mona, you know, you mentioned uh, earlier that uh, toxicity plays a role in diabetes. And a previous guest uh, has talked to us about how uh, certain uh, contaminants like arsenic could have an impact on uh, blood sugar. And there are other things. There are what are called obesogens, uh, hormone changing pollutants, Right.
1: Yeah, even the World Health Organization has noted that, um, ar- arsenic, for example, and, uh, lead, uh, can be considered diabetogens. Uh, so this is, you know, this is definitely those two heavy metals, uh, for sure have been shown uh, along those lines, but there are chemical Uh, you know, medications. Um, You know, they did one great study with um, two groups of kind of equally overweight people. And group A didn't have diabetes and group B did. And when they did a fat biopsy of both groups, Group A without diabetes didn't have many chemicals in their body and group B did. Now everything else had be equalized between them. So this is one of the key studies saying if we have all these chemicals, you know, there, there's 80,000 chemicals are in use in the U.S. and a thousand or two thousand new ones are introduced each year. You know, so we have almost 100% of pregnant women have PCBs and organochloride pesticides and PFAs and phenols and all of these super toxic medications that have been shown to induce diabetes in animals in laboratories. And now we're seeing in people uh, in the world. So it's, um, you know, talking to patients that, uh, you know, don't have exterminators. Or like. A, in, I live in the South. I live in Tempe, Arizona. So there's a company that truly does organic extermination. Uh, there's these oils called uh, Essentia. They're like essential oils. When mm-hmm. they leave a house, it smells like peppermint oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, so that's not going to give you diabetes. Or uh, also, of course, just are you using... What kind of chemicals are you spraying on weeds? Um, what chemicals are you using in your home, uh, it, you know, just all over the place um, in, in your cleaning supplies or your toiletries and so forth? So the more we can get as many of these chemicals out of our body and choose organic food. Now, organic food may not be chemical free because it may have gotten chemicals from water that evaporated from some river in China and flew over the country and and downpour. Now I'm not anti-China, but I'm just saying that it could have been from another city in America. There's, you know, you can get chemicals through the rain or so forth, but they have a lot less than when they are conventionally sprayed, and uh, and the food is is is, is full of them. I I have on my desk handouts of the clean 15 and dirty dozen by the environmental working group. So patients know for sure the dirty dozen always has to be eaten organic. Mm -hmm. You just have to, if you're going to get leafy greens, they have to be organic. You know, if you're going to get little cherry tomatoes, they have to be organic. Like you can't not eat these with, you know, because they're so full of chemicals. Mm-hmm. So it's a big, it is a big discussion uh, that I have with patients. And, um, you know, that are that we need to discuss if we're going to try to figure out how can we get a person to be less insulin resistant, uh, and then reverse either their prediabetes or diabetes. I mean, there's, you know, just so many drugs are associated with that.
0: You're an expert on uh, the GI tract. And in fact, uh, you see a lot of patients with SIBO, irritable bowel syndrome, GERD, gallbladder conditions, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, diverticulitis, even pancreatitis, which does affect insulin production. Uh, what about the role of the microbiome? It's been speculated that the, the composition of the bacteria in the gut can have an impact on metabolism, right? Right.
1: Absolutely. Uh, yes. You know. So, I mean, the gut microbiota. I mean, it has been, you know, as identified at least in some people as a potential contributor to uh, pre-diabetes, diabetes, obesity. You know, they've done experiments with lean mice. And they uh, do a fecal microbiotic transplant from overweight mice and the lean mice become overweight, you know, doing doing nothing else. But we do know if people have been eating poorly, if they have dysbiosis, uh, overgrowth of more problematic bacteria, uh, these can produce... Uh, uh, inflammatory markers like what we call these lipopolysaccharides or even tumor necrosis factor alpha those can be tumor necrosis factor alpha made in the gut can actually get through the intestine and go to muscle cells and make them insulin resistant mm. um so it's uh you know making sure doing uh, especially if a person comes to me with Pre diabetes or diabetes and has any gastrointestinal problems, uh, doing a stool analysis, do you know, checking them out or a SIBO test if necessary and figuring out, um, are there, is there any dysbiosis that could be, uh, causing gut inflammation, uh, that can lead to systemic insulin resistance?
0: Right. I mean, there, there's convincing evidence of that because sometimes they can, in animal studies, they can do a fecal transplant from a, a fat mouse to a skinny mouse and make that fat mouse, I mean, they make the skinny mouse fatter uh, and vice versa. And, and then there's evidence that people who take a yeah. lot of antibiotics also are at higher uh, risk for weight gain. And, and they use that also in animal husbandry. They give. Uh,
1: and cat, yeah. So. One of the, yeah, so they started giving antibiotics to cattle because they would, they would be able to gain weight easier and marble, mm-hmm. you know, get marbleized. Well, we'd want to be marbleized. Uh, so, so, yeah. That's not a good thing. <laughs> it's not, mar- yes, but of course, with all the antibiotics and how that screws up the gut microbiota and, you know, also can potentially lead to the same obesity that uh, we see can happen in animals getting regularly fed antibiotics.
0: What about drugs? You know, I'm thinking of uh, commonly prescribed medications that can increase the risk for diabetes. And one that I want to ask you about in particular, uh, recent evidence is that if you take statins, uh, that, and this is not the case in people who have no proclivity to diabetes It's relatively uncommon for statins to push people into the diabetes realm. But sometimes people are on the cusp of developing diabetes. Studies show that statins can push you over the edge.
1: Well, yes, there is some there have been studies for some years that statins can lead to elevated blood sugars uh, and which could put you into a category of, say, take you from pre-diabetes to diabetes. Now, you know, the, um, uh, you know, conventional care still says you should use a statin if your cholesterol is high. You know, with my type 2 diabetic patients who are not on a statin, because I don't really, uh, you know, I don't I don't prescribe them. There is good as science for statins in a type two diabetic person who's already had a heart attack or a mm-hmm. stroke, mm-hmm. has elevated mm-hmm. lipids. That's, I, that that is a you. very I, well I'm not studied population. Like, uh, yeah,
0: statin in every case, but I think right. we have to be very selective of, about applying them. And exactly. Not now,
1: I agree, and so I do a lot of more in depth, as you probably do. Um, you know, I'll do an NMR or VAT panels, look at um, LDL size, particle amounts, look at oxidized LDL, uh, lipoprotein A, apolipoprotein B, uh, myeloperoxidase, you know, HSCRP for inflammation, uh, you know, maybe a fibrinogen. There's so many more in-depth studies that can, a you know, an LP plaque to that can really let us know mm-hmm. what risk of cardiovascular disease is aside from statin drugs. I mean, the, the statistics with statins, I mean, nearly 75% of people who have a heart attack or stroke have a cholesterol less than 200. And so it's not like, uh, <laughs> These days. you know, so, you know, so not that big a help, right? And I um, mean, then if you try, you have, I had a woman in yesterday, she's 75 and her doctor wants to put her on a statin drug. And I said, ask your MD yep. for one study, yep. one study that shows any benefit in morbidity or mortality in a 75-year-old woman with elevated cholesterol who has no heart attack, no stroke history, no hypertension, is not overweight. Like, there are no studies. Right. It doesn't do anything. Welcome you know, to it's my world. Just a I on see a page. those types
0: of patients right. because they're actually mortified right. that their cholesterol is high. But uh, in that population – uh, studies actually show that higher cholesterol, particularly when it's associated yeah. with a high HDL, is is uh, protective against dying, which is a pretty, pretty important endpoint, I think you'd yeah. admit. So uh, you. when it comes to testing, you know, you, t- you talk about cardiovascular risk assessment. So you yeah. go to the doctor, your doctor says, okay, uh, you know, you're fine, you're not diabetic. But how do you know that they're not missing something when you suspect that uh, maybe your hemoglobin A1C or something is a little bit borderline? What are, what are some of the tests that you may want to uh, eyeball a little more carefully?
1: Well, I probably would do, I mean, if I could do, you can do a serum insulin, or if they're on insulin, you can measure their pancreatic function with a C-peptide. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, can't me- you can't do insulin. Um, you know, so that gives us, I do, um, would, uh, you know, whether we need to do those more advanced lipids, whether we need, I will always check for inflammation, vitamin D3, vitamin D3, uh, isn't just a vitamin as we know, it really has hormonal aspects and it is involved in regulating glucose metabolism. Uh, so that's an important test to just make sure that they have good amounts of or, or dose them if they're deficient, which many people are. Uh, obviously, you know, just checking their, I'll always do their, you know, a CMP, just their liver, kidney, um, you know, and also I always throw in ferritin, because ferritin mm-hmm. is the number one uh, lab that'll indicate fatty liver. Uh, And then GGT is a is the second one. But regular conventional medicine, medical doctors never really check ferritin. And um, knowing if there's fatty liver uh, can is very important for myself as a clinician and also for patients. And um, so that's so they have an elevated ferritin. uh, I'll begin the algorithm process of of studying their liver uh, and seeing what's going on with it.
0: And and ferritin is an iron marker. And there is a a type of diabetes that's associated with uh, hereditary iron overload. There's some people who have uh, hemochromatosis genes, and and that can actually prompt uh, elevated blood sugar.
1: Yes, uh, that is, um, I maybe have seen four or five of those patients in my career. Not um, too common. It's, It's a very, you're looking for a much higher, generally, ferritin uh, generally over 700 mm-hmm. like if you find elevated ferritin you're gonna you do two things you know first you'll do a iron panel and look for percent saturation if it's over 50 or 55 then you do a gene test and you can see if they have hemochromatosis I actually diagnosed a, a guy with that a couple of years ago if the transat is not elevated then do a liver ultrasound and there you'll pick up what they call this echogenicity, and that is indicating what's going on with the fatty liver, how bad it is. So that's kind of the pathway you do um, with um, the elevated ferritin, um, since it can indicate the hemochromatosis or just be an inflammatory marker if they have fatty liver.
0: Right. It's also not sometimes not related iron it's an inflammatory marker okay folks at this point let's pause and allow one of our sponsors an opportunity to share this information with you this episode of intelligent medicine is brought to you by protocol for life balance offering a wide range of professional grade products using ingredients backed by strong scientific research among them several stand out for relief of occasional minor aches and pains of overexertion ache action msm and hyaluronic acid. This suite of products may help to support a healthy response to normal physiological stress and promotes a balanced response to joint stress, flexibility, and mobility. They're backed by solid scientific data and available now at drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance. That's drhoffman.com slash protocol for life balance for more information and to order. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting our sponsors there. Make Intelligent Medicine a free resource to you. And now back to today's guest, Dr. Mona Morstein. When it comes to supplements, you you introduced uh, vitamin D as a supplement crucial for uh, uh, blood sugar regulation. What are some of the other plausible supplements that are helpful?
1: Yeah, so there are a number. I mean, I, I you know, I always will start with a multiple vitamin and fish oil. All my patients get those to make sure that. They always uh, are getting all the nutrients that they need uh, every day uh, to um, have their body work and uh, give, you know, have just in case they eat better, they eat worse. I start with that. Um, You know, extra nutrients such as chromium, zinc, and vanadium are some extra minerals that have been shown to help reduce uh insulin resistance i uh, will since oxidative damage um is so part of elevated blood sugars um antioxidants like alpha lipoic acid uh like N-acetylcysteine both of which also reduce ant uh, they also reduce insulin resistance uh berberine was shown in a study to equal metformin for helping to treat diabetes Gymnema Sylvester uh, is great at reducing carbs and also increasing the pancreas's capacity to make insulin. It can elevate the C-peptide. Benfotiamine is a great antioxidant for kidney, nerve, and eye protection uh, with people with diabetes. Same with bilberry is a little more specific for the eyes. Uh, Green tea extract also reduces insulin resistance, protects the liver. And turmeric, curcumin, um, you know, also reduces insulin resistance and Um, anti-inflammatory. You know, um, elevated blood sugars have been associated also with Alzheimer's and turmeric seems to be a protective agent also for uh, negative neurodegeneration changes in the brain. So, I mean, I mean, I have a bias. Those are all in a product that I produce called—I don't produce, but Priority One produces called Diamond. But those are anyway. Even if you're not getting it through Diamond, those are still the main supplements uh, to use—one or the other or several—in a patient with diabetes.
0: So you developed this product via Priority One. How do people get a hold of it?
1: Oh, I mean, it's called Diamond. I guess you can order it online. It's a little spendy, but the good news about it is that it's like, aside from a multiple vitamin and fish oil, it's the only product that you need. You know, you don't have to get bottles of all this other stuff. It's all right in there at, you know, like therapeutic doses. So it's got the therapeutic dose of, Alpha lipoic acid of 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 the benfotiamine of good amounts of gymnema, uh, you know the N-acetylcysteine. It, these are de- these are good good amounts. The green tea extract, the bilberry, they're gonna you know they have <clears throat> benefits in helping with blood sugar regulation and food cravings and supporting insulin processing well. So. Uh, you know, I I worked hard with priority one to put this together.
0: Good stuff. Uh, what about, uh, you know, you've given us a very comprehensive look at a kind of an all of the above approach to diabetes, but we haven't mentioned exercise, but right. arguments about, you know, which type of exercise is best. Is it best to, you know, run around a track or, or walk or, and then there's a lot of, Uh, emphasis on on strength training because it builds the muscles and the muscles are sort of the place where insulin resistance happens.
1: That is all correct. I mean, one, the best exercise is one, whatever the patient's going to (laughs) do. So, you know, I mean, if they have been sitting for 20 years and they'll walk 15 minutes, three times a day, then just start walking 15 minutes, you know, after meals three times a day, you know, I mean, so one is just getting them up and getting them active, um, you know, getting good sneakers to support their ankles and knees and hips. Um, definitely aerobic is important. But you're right, resistance and weights does burn more glucose, and develops muscles, which burn more glucose. Um, so i like people to go to a gym, get a trainer, even a few times, just so they get a plan set up, they get ensured that they know the ergonomics of dealing with the weight machines or free weight, so they're not going to hurt themselves by having bad ergonomics uh, and, and get them started. Now, oh, sure, HIIT, you know, high intensity interval training is great, but you know what? We're not working with populations that, you know, are are, are athletes right, exactly. generally. Yeah, and so, they're athletes, they're you know, just, right just to yeah. say, yeah. So you can't just say, hey, you know, just, you know, do HIIT right away. And, and, and patients don't always like HIIT by studies. But they do, they can walk and they can do some resistance. And so, you know, weight loss exercise generally is an hour a day you know, five or six days a week, uh, maybe 40 minutes of aerobic and 20 minutes of weights or resistance. Uh, you know, this is what we try to push with patients, uh, and to get them doing whatever they, you know, they can do. And then making sure that they're not just sitting down the rest of the day, you know, Dr. Levine from Mayo, you know, did that NEAT, the non-exercise activity you know, whatever, I forget what T stands for, Uh, thermogenesis, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so Mm -hmm. the idea that even just walking around your house, do the dishes, dust here and there, Mm -hmm. you know, just Mm -hmm stand and talk to a neighbor, like anything that, you know, uh, just pace when you're on the phone, just don't sit like all of this little bit of non sitting, even though it isn't per se exercise is still moving and burning calories that really isn't going to happen. If you're, um, you're just sitting down now, there is this nifty little thing called a QB. Um, I think it's cu. Q, Q no C U Q I I must no C U B I I which is like a little it's like a, a little um, elliptical machine but it's just for the legs like if they're sitting down and they're gonna watch TV then just to have their legs moving in that kind of elliptical motion yeah C-U-B-I-I so I I just discovered this a month ago so. You know, if you're going to sit and read or watch TV, doing this QB and moving, it's pretty awesome just to keep going, it, even for people like that are going to, to be uh, sick.
0: It's an incentive to fidget, sort of, you know, which, uh, you know, fidgeting Yeah, exactly. Calories. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And one final fidgeting
1: thing. Fidgeting does burn calories. Yeah.
0: One final Good. thing. Is, you know, we talked about, you know, what to eat, you know, you're in favor of a low-carb diet. Uh but uh, what about how we eat and the timing of eating uh, intermittent fasting and time restricted feeding for diabetes?
1: Well, I, yeah, sh- I mean, I do think everybody should eat dinner and then not eat till breakfast and have that be, you know, at least 12 hours. Uh, actually, if you look at intermittent fasting, eating breakfast and lunch. And then, say, a very small dinner seems to be more effective than everybody skipping breakfast Mm -hmm. because breakfast does kick your metabolism in. And breakfast shuts down cortisol output and lowers blood sugars versus they just keep going higher and higher when you don't eat. I am not personally an advocate of like, oh, yeah, don't eat for 16, 17 hours and then get all your food in seven hours, you know. Sometimes it makes
0: you put the feedback on.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I don't think that overeating in a short amount of time is good for your gut either. So whether you just want to do breakfast, lunch, and supper, low carb, no food from supper to breakfast, or maybe you want to have supper be a little earlier and maybe do 13 or 14 hours, but eat breakfast. I, that, I'm fine with that, but I don't really like to do extreme like I'm going to eat one meal a day and eat 2000 calories and not eat the whole rest of the other time. I also think that some of these extreme things interfere with social getting together. Yeah. And that's a real negative for patients. It's been hard enough with COVID. But now I'm, you're eating in such a weird way yeah. that you can't go out to dinner with friends or family and Uh, you know, that doesn't always work well for patients. So, uh, you know, I'm not too extreme personally, Ron, myself that way.
0: Indeed. And sometimes they foster, uh, you know, disordered eating, you know, where people are, when they're they're good, they're very, very good. And when they're bad, they sort of let it all hang out. And, you know, that's the weight cycling and dieting, and then getting off the diet. I mean, I hate the word diet. It's my least favorite four-letter word, right. uh, it, you know, y- you want to make it a lifestyle. And, and as you say, you want to make it something that is compatible with compliance. Compliance is really key. I mean, you can put people on a draconian program for a month or two, but we have been in the field of nutritional medicine for this long. We recognize that, you know, it can backfire when it's too stringent. So good yes. stuff. Good stuff. Uh, all right. So the book is uh, entitled... Master Your Diabetes, a comprehensive, integrative approach for both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. It's uh, still available. And uh, the, and mention again the supplement. Uh,
1: uh, it's called Diamend Mend. from Priority mm-hmm. One Supplements.
0: Okay, great. So, you know, Google it, check it out, usual sources. Uh, Dr. Mona Morstein, you know, I just want to congratulate you. Uh, you know, you're a naturopathic physician and sometimes... Uh, Uh, You know, medical doctors sometimes, uh, and you know, even if you look it up on Wikipedia, naturopathic medicine gets a bad Uh, (laughs) rap. It does. It's terrible. But uh, you really exemplify uh, the excellence and scientific rigor that naturopathic uh, training and orientation can bring to a problem like diabetes, which is sometimes really medicalized, treated with a lot of drugs, okay, sometimes necessary, treated with, you know, Radical surgery to uh, shrink the stomach, bypass the stomach, uh, but it, it's really through lifestyle approaches that uh, naturopaths uh, excel in. That I think that we're going to get an answer to this this really threatening pandemic that threatens uh, our well-being in the United States and across the world. So congratulations to you for embracing that in your career.
1: Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
0: I, just let me, one final thing is, you have a practice. and I do. Do you do telemedicine because you're out there in Arizona? I,
1: I do do telemedicine. My If they go to drmorstein.com, M-O-R-S-T-E-I-N, uh, that clicks you into my into my website I do do telemedicine yes
0: and, and she's not just about uh, diabetes folks although that's one of her specialties she's also uh, uh, very well versed in treating a wide variety of, of problems and especially gastrointestinal problems you see a lot of patients
1: with yeah diabetes. and uh, and then thyroid and other hormonal conditions or you know autoimmune diseases those as well Thanks that's nice of you to bring up
0: good stuff. Thank you so much, okay. uh, Mona, for joining us today. And, uh, you know, we'll reprise this, uh, you know, in a few months when there's some new developments on the diabetes front or whatever you want to come and talk about.
1: Great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ron. You're, you're a real asset to everybody.
0: Oh, that's very kind. Thank you. We're Mutual Admiration Society. Thanks, folks, for joining <laughs> us. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant, and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com, drhoffmanstore.com.